is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Three eight one one. Boy, the hearing on Jeff Sessions today. The Democrats, true to form, utterly disgusting. We'll get into that a little bit later. But I want to get back to something. Sexual harassment in Congress. Sexual harassment in Congress. NBC News. Representative Jackie Speer told a House panel today... She knows of two current members of Congress, a Democrat and a Republican, who have engaged in sexual harassment, further exposing an institution that's been accused of looking away from sexual misconduct. Spirit California Democrats said the harassment ranged from propositions such as, are you going to be a good girl, to perpetrators exposing their genitals, to victims, to victims having their private parts grabbed on the House floor. Cut 11. Go. In fact, there are two members of Congress, Republican and Democrat, right now, who serve, who have been subject to review, or not have been subject to review, but have engaged in sexual harassment. These harasser propositions such as, are you going to be a good girl, to perpetrators exposing their genitals, to victims having their private parts grabbed on the House floor, all they ask in return as staff members, is to be able to work in a hostile-free work environment. They want the system fixed and the perpetrators held accountable. Well, why doesn't she name them? I'm getting a little tired of this. Why doesn't she name them? They're members of Congress, right? One Democrat, one Republican. They sound pretty grotesque to me. Representative Barbara Comstock, a member of the committee, also shared a story. She said she had been told recently about an encounter one identified female staffer had with her boss, a current member of Congress. She said the woman had been asked to drop off materials at his house, and he answered the door in a bathtub and proceeded to expose himself. Comstock said she did not know the identity of the congressman, but said the woman had quit her job as a result. She said, we need to know more examples of what's actually happening to make it easier for the victims to come forward. It's important to name names. While she's sitting there with Jackie Spear, who won't name names. Now, apparently this is widespread in Congress. Or otherwise, why pass a resolution in the Senate, an anti-sexual harassment resolution in the Senate, if it's not widespread? And in the House of Representatives, Paul Ryan said that uh, every member of the House and every staff member after the hearings are going to be required to take anti-sexual harassment training. I'm calling on Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan to resign. Not to be provocative or controversial. But if this sexual harassment has been going on, I'm quite serious about this. In the United States Senate, 
and the United States House of Representatives, and they are the leaders. The Republicans have controlled the House of Representatives since 2011. The Democrats have controlled the Senate since 2015. And Ryan and McConnell have been around a long time, and they know, they know who's who, or they know about many of those who are who's who. They should resign. And I'm quite serious about this. Now, we had Gillibrand, who proposed a bill in the Senate, said this is a very, very serious matter. We have Jackie Speer and Comstock, who've now come forward and said this is a very serious matter. None of them will name names. None of them will name names. That is appalling. Absolutely appalling. They won't name names. Where's Glory Allred? But I could not be more serious when I say Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan should resign. They have led institutions where there is widespread, maybe rampant, sexual harassment, but clearly so much of it, or a pattern of so much of it, that they're having to take steps now to address it. And why have they waited so long? Why have they waited so long to address this? So here we have a hearing today. It's all over the media what took place at the hearing, what Jackie Spear had to say, among others. The other day I told you about what the Senate did. It's a big deal. And we're supposed to just move on. And I said the other day, where's the Washington Post? The Washington Post is the hometown newspaper of Washington, D.C., why aren't the Washington Post reporters on Capitol Hill getting us names? Republicans, Democrats, I don't care. You know, a lot of people send their kids to work on Capitol Hill as interns, as young staffers. Apparently, there are members of Congress who are predators, predators. And yet there's a, a code of silence like the mob. There's this code of silence like the mob in the U.S. Senate, in the U.S. House of Representatives, led by the Republicans. Led by the Republicans. Now, I know they keep wagging their fingers at Roy Moore. Okay, fine. But that's not the end, in the beginning and the end of it. I want to know what's going on in the United States Capitol. The Capitol building. Anywhere else, any other workplace where you conduct yourself this way, you are subjected to a lawsuit. You can go to the EEOC process if you wish. Any other place in America. But Congress exempts itself from the same laws that apply to us, whether it's health care, whether it's the Freedom of Information Act that applies to the executive branch, whether it's sexual harassment, whatever it is, they seem to exempt themselves. Now, we are being told specifically, under oath, Jackie Spear testified, a liberal Democrat from California. She knows of two cases, a California Democrat, uh, excuse me, a Democrat and a Republican, who have sexually harassed, in grotesque ways, staffers. Who are they? Who are they? 
I wish one of these reporters in the Washington Post would go to Capitol Hill so they could hear who it is or who they are. And let me tell you a little dirty secret. They know who many of these people are. It's like John Kennedy at the White House with his pool parties, his sex parties. Washington Post knew all about this stuff. But they covered it up. The Washington Post covered it up. Knew all about it. They covered it up. Now we have members of Congress who have come forward and say they know specific instances. I mean, listen to this. This is your Congress. This is your government. These are your employees. And they're not going to tell us who these people are, even though we have a right to know whether we want to vote them in or vote them out. What's the secret? Let's play it again, Mr. Producer. Cut 11. Go. In fact, there are two members of Congress, Republican and Democrat. Who are they? Who are they? Go ahead. Now, who serve, who have been subject to review or not have been subject to review, but have engaged in sexual harassment. These harasser propositions such as, are you going to be a good girl? To perpetrators exposing their genitals. To victims having their private parts grabbed on the House floor. I think we can agree that members exposing their genitals or grabbing private parts on the House floor They should be exposed. We should know who they are. Los Angeles Congresswoman Sanchez. She says she was harassed by a colleague. Linda Sanchez said she was harassed, happened years ago, by a current member of Congress. Who's running this place? The House of Representatives. Is it the Playboy Mansion? Who's running the uh, the United States Senate? Or her. Hey, you know what, ladies and gentlemen, we'll get more done here than anybody else here could get done here. That would be Mitch McConnell. Do they take responsibility for anything? Time for McConnell to go. Time for Paul Ryan to go. Time for some fresh blood to get in there. Really take charge of these institutions. Drive a liberty agenda, a constitutional agenda. Uh, compel members to behave themselves, conduct themselves like ethical, stand-up American citizens. This has gone far enough. I'll be right back. Lovin. Yet these members of Congress falling all over themselves on the Roy Moore matter of which they have no effective control, at least at the election level. They have complete control about what goes on in their offices and the halls of Congress. Let me read you this from CNN. Until Ryan's announcement today, there was no requirement for sexual harassment training in the House of Representatives. Individual offices could voluntarily have their staffs attend training offered by the Office of Compliance. The Senate just last week passed a resolution making sexual harassment training mandatory, um, not just for staffers and interns, but also for senators. This is a disgrace. 
I'm not kidding. This is a disgrace. And this Cory Gardner, we're going to expel Roy Moore if he's elected. Seems to me, that's fine. Seems to me there's a lot of expelling that needs to go on. Expulsions, if you will. I think if we had any decent reporters left at the Washington Post and the New York Times, any decent reporters left at CNN and MSNBC and all the others, they would be right there at Mitch McConnell's door and Paul Ryan's door and ask them why they're not naming names and why not a single member of the House of Representatives, not a single member of the United States Senate has been expelled for sexual harassment. Not one. How is that possible? How is that possible when they just passed an anti-sexual harassment resolution requiring training for senators, staffers, and interns in the United States Senate? If this wasn't a problem, they wouldn't have passed a resolution. How is it possible that we hear from Jackie Spears and Barbara Comstock, so there's obviously a problem in the House of Representatives, and only now the Speaker of the House orders training for members of Congress and their staff and interns? How does it get to this point where it's so ubiquitous that now they put their foot down? But I'm saying you have leadership, right? You have leaders, so-called. They like to be called leaders. They like the cars. They like the protection. They like all the stuff. Okay, Mitch McConnell likes being the boss. Well, boss, don't you have some responsibility for what's going on in the Senate? Maybe John McCain, who's been there forever, can tell us who the sexual predators are. Maybe Orrin Hatch can tell us who the sexual predators are. Maybe Thad Cochran. Nah, forget it. I don't think he knows what the time it is. Over in the House of Representatives, where they serve for 20, 30, 35, 40 years, they know who the culprits are. They know exactly who they are. You know, we talk about the mob and the code of silence. We talk about violence on the streets, among gangs and neighborhoods, and the code of silence. There's a code of silence in the United States Senate. There's a code of silence in the House of Representatives. You cannot tell me that Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan, the Republican leader of the Senate and the Speaker of the House, don't know what the hell's going on. You cannot tell me that. And then they hurry up and say, pass this resolution. He hurry up and do the training. No, hurry up nothing. And notice. Notice. The newspapers. The network TV. The cable TV. The satellite TV. Notice. They're nowhere. They're just reporting on the fact of what the House and the Senate are doing. Why? Because they have their sources. They have their sources. And they don't want to lose their sources. People on Capitol Hill for years and years and years, they have their target. They want to take out Trump. They're not going to waste their time on sorting this stuff out. No, 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 no. And they want to take out many people who might support Trump. How is it that the Washington Post has the resources to send reporters into Alabama and doesn't have the resources the motivation, the interest to send reporters to Capitol Hill to find out what the hell is going on out there. You're a reporter, right? You have an editor, right? You have a managing editor, right? Or however it's laid out, an executive editor. You're reading about these stories. 
this testimony today. You're seeing that the Senate moves quickly on a resolution. Now we have the Speaker today says what he says. Why wouldn't you have reporters planted on Capitol Hill to get the names of the individuals who are exposing themselves to staffers or fondling staffers? Why wouldn't you get those names? Because you don't want to, that's why. Now that I'm pounding them, they might. Now that I'm pounding them, exposing them, maybe they will. But don't hold your breath. Mick, Eagle Mountain, Utah, Sirius Satellite, go. I cannot believe I'm talking to you, sir. Thank you. I want to just say, you know, back when Bill Clinton was in office, this was a problem. Obviously, it was a problem with Bill. Um, it's still a problem today. Why can't we get it together and then, and figure out who's, who's up there on Capitol Hill that shouldn't be up there on Capitol Hill representing us in the House and the Senate? Why won't Jackie Spears tell us? That's the other thing is... Why won't Gillibrand tell us? Why won't Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell tell us? We have courageous women coming forward, as, we're, as have, we've been told time and time and time again. Why won't courageous members of the Senate, courageous members of the House, why won't they come forward and point out who their predator colleagues are? Why won't they do it? And where are the media? They're on Alabama. I'll be right back. Liberty's Voice, Mark Levin. Talk with that voice now. 877-381-3811. I'm not spending three hours on this. I'm just pointing it out. I think it is a big deal. I think it's a very big deal. And it troubles me a lot. As somebody with a daughter and a granddaughter and, of course, a wife. Then I saw this. After hearing about all this sexual harassment stuff going on in the House and the Senate, I heard this, New York Times. Senator Mitch McConnell has a well-documented history of showing little tolerance for sexual misconduct that he fears could tarnish the image of the Senate and his party. Excuse me? Little tolerance for it? They just had to pass an anti-sexual harassment resolution. This is what I mean. Carl Hulse, or whatever his name is, at the New York Times, there's this incestuous relationship between many of these politicians and the media. He was a force behind the effort to push out Larry Craig. Uh, let's see what else here. And uh, Bob Packwood. And now he's a force to, uh, to deal with more. And by the way, what they seem to be settling on is a write-in candidate. So I got to thinking. Put aside Alabama, put aside Roy Moore. A write-in candidate. Not that it wasn't there, but now it's highlighted like a marquee at a movie theater. Mitch McConnell just told us how to defeat some of the liberal Republicans in the Senate. A write-in candidate. When the Republican Party nominates a Susan Collins or a Lisa Murkowski, she was a write-in candidate after she lost the primary. Maybe what we need to do for the most egregious of these Republicans, I'm not saying all of them, I'm not into taking out every Republican senator who's running, but there are some who deserve it. Mitch McConnell will be one of them next time around. 
we support a write-in candidate. Now, either that write-in candidate will win on his or her own, or they'll be defeated. Now, you might say that elected Democrat. Well, do the Republicans in the Senate seem to care about that? Again, put aside Alabama. Let's think about Indiana. There was a wonderful candidate, a Tea Party candidate, the treasurer of the state of Indiana. He wasn't a goofball. He wasn't a nut job. He was a conservative, and he won the nomination, and he defeated Dick Lugar. Dick Lugar, who'd been around forever, and uh, thankfully long ago, Jesse Helms blocked him from being chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee. But in any event, Lugar was a moderate. Sometimes he was worse. And he lost the Republican primary. So they trash the conservative who's running and won the nomination fair and square. The Republican establishment in Indiana undercuts him. Mitch McConnell tries to destroy him. They don't care if the Democrat Donnelly's elected. And Donnelly was elected. Donnelly was elected. Same thing happened in Delaware. Mitch McConnell likes to say, well, you know, you nominate these loser candidates. Like I like to say, winners make laws and losers go home. Wow. Cicero. No, McConnell. Okay. Maybe some of that needs to happen. Maybe some of that needs to happen, because I'll tell you what. The men and women who represent us, quote-unquote, in the United States Senate ain't getting a hell of a lot done, and now they're going to be pushing a tax bill that wipes out state and local property tax deductions, which is insane. It's insane. Among other things. So Mitch McConnell has revealed to us a strategy that you can use in your own communities, in your own states against Republican members of the Senate who are undermining our ability to have real tax cuts, to repeal Obamacare, to secure the border, to build up the United States military, and on and on and on. We can do this right-in thing, too. We can do this right-in thing, too. There they are, sitting there. Here's the other thing. Mitch McConnell is the Republican leader of the Senate. He's not the Republican leader. He's not in charge of the Republican Party. The President of the United States is. And yet he's calling all the shots. And not just in Alabama, all these states. He's calling all the shots. It wasn't that long ago, ladies and gentlemen, maybe it was ten years ago, maybe it was eight years ago, when the Republican leader of the United States Senate did not get involved in primaries. Whomever was elected was elected. He would be the leader whether they're in the majority or the minority, and he would organize them and then press for legislation and so forth and so on. Mitch McConnell has decided that he's going to reach outside the role of the Republican leader and try and destroy any conservatives who challenge his majority status. So if you have a candidate who announces that they're not going to vote for Mitch McConnell for majority leader, he reaches into those races, into these states, and tries to defeat them. Let me tell you something. That has never happened before, certainly not in my memory, except with Mitch McConnell as the Republican leader in the Senate. Because he wants smooth sailing, he wants people in there who will rubber stamp whatever he wants to do. Notice the people who sunk us on repealing Obamacare 
They weren't the conservatives. Murkowski, Collins, McCain. He doesn't go out and try and defeat them. He supports them. Because Mitch McConnell's not a conservative. He's a bureaucrat. He's a bureaucrat. But all these decades in Washington, D.C., all these decades as a powerful leader of the Republican Party, what has he done for the American people in any significant way? But I'll tell you what he's done for himself. He's built up this massive army of lobbyists, of former staffers, of people who run PACs that are front groups for him, that he uses to defeat his opponents, to smear his opponents. That's what he does. This guy needs to go. Meanwhile, under his own nose, there's all kinds of sexual harassment going on, according to uh, Gillibrand, Kirsten Gillibrand, and apparently co-sponsors of the anti-sexual harassment resolution. Same with Paul Ryan. It's going on under their noses. They're in charge. The buck stops with them. The people of Alabama will decide the fate of Roy Moore. The people of Alabama will decide who represents them even though Mitch McConnell insists that he'll decide it. And this, look, even putting aside these revelations, starting with the Washington Post, Mitch McConnell wanted to decide who the people of Alabama would send to the Senate long before this. He rejected Mo Brooks. He rejected seven or eight other candidates. He wanted Luther Strange, period. And he spent millions and millions of million dollars toward that end. And he lost. And he lost. But shouldn't he be held to account? Shouldn't Paul Ryan be held to account? Yeah, they should be held to account. Let's take some calls here. Ryan, Alexandria, Virginia, the great WMAL. Go. Hi, Mark Levin. Uh, love your show, man. Um, I basically wanted to touch base with on the uh, the bit about Roy uh, about more. Yeah, go ahead. And um, basically, I work for I work for a contracting company for the government, and I uh, I deal with I see it it runs rampant at my level uh, sex, sexual harassment that goes on, um, and there have been women that you mean in the business you work in or in Capitol Hill or what? Um, not Capitol Hill, but um, in the business in the in the contract in the government side, um, they will treat contractors like they're second class and they think they can do anything they want. <laughs> and uh, women have... Uh, that All right, i got to understand what you're talking about. They treat contractors like second class. That's a separate issue. Who is harassing women? Government employees is what I'm getting at. Government employees in the federal government harass women who work for contractors, you're saying? Yes. Mm-hmm. And th- those women... People, you know, either in, on the government side or contractors, will have rap sheets on these guys, and then um, when they let, let me let it, me ask you a question about this, Ryan. You've got you ever see a presidential press conference? Yes. See all the reporters in there, the gaggle of lawyers uh, of uh, of uh, reporters. Yes. Inside the Beltway, you're telling me all this. Illegal and unethical and immoral activities going on, the way women contract in contract with, tra- with government contractors being treated by various department and agency personnel. Correct. 
Correct. Have you seen many stories on this? There's nothing. There's nothing. nothing. Why is that? Why Why is there nothing? Because I, I have no idea. They keep it hush consistently across the board from the bottom to the top. All right, my friend. Thank you for your call. Really is amazing to me with the concentration of media, liberal media. In Washington, D.C., almost every major news outlet has a, has a branch operation here, a significant branch operation here, as well as international news operations. I'll tell you, I don't think we've seen the end of all these sexual harassment in these news organizations. We haven't heard a thing about the New York Times and the Washington Post and CNN. One guy at MSNBC, we haven't heard a thing. Although one guy at NBC was just chased out the door. ABC, CBS, nothing. Is that possible? I suppose it's possible. Is that likely? Patrick, Concord, New Hampshire, on the Mark Levin app. Go. Mark, in taking a uh, page right out of your March 6th show playbook by reading their articles, there's a Politico article from last week that states that McConnell sponsored the the Senate uh, resolution two days before the Roy Moore allegations came out in the Washington Post. Now, I know there's a lot of time frame questions and, you know, suspicions out there. But I find it very suspicious that McConnell himself sponsors a bill two days before the Roy Moore stuff comes out in the Washington Post, and he's been in the Senate for how many years? There's too many coincidences, Mark. Let, 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 me, let me tell you something, and I'm attacked for this even though I don't really care. Whatever the uh, result in the Roy Moore election, whatever the facts are, however it's resolved, whatever comes out, um, you better believe that this was the result of some, some kind of opposition research. Those reporters weren't just hanging around Roy Moore supporters and somebody told them, hey, you know what? And as I broke down, and it's very complicated for the media because they really, even the ones who've commented on what I've said, they've, they've gotten it wrong or they have chosen to ignore aspects of it. When the Washington Post wrote, and I'm doing this from memory, that they heard about these teenagers in plural. Plural. That's not possible to have come from just some person who was there and they heard it. That has to come from opposition research. These teenagers at the time and as adults today, they never knew each other. They didn't know each other's names. Uh, They didn't know each other's experiences. And for someone, a reporter, to hear uh, about all of them at once, a plurality of them, that's not uh, innocently hearing something. Somebody fed that to somebody. And I'm convinced they, they do protect these uh, these dug-in politicians in Washington, D.C., which is exactly why they're not hammering them for sexual harassment that obviously is taking place. I mean, otherwise, I wouldn't imagine Congress doing what Congress is doing uh, in the House of Representatives and the United States Senate. All right, sir. I think that was a very interesting point. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin.
my fellow patriots, you've heard me talk about AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, and their conservative efforts on the Hill. But did you know that AMAC is also your resource for all things Medicare? Now that the Medicare annual election period is here, it's the perfect time to visit AMAC's website at www.amac.us. If you're searching for a Medicare plan that meets your needs, AMAC's Senior Resources Network is a good place to start. With access to multiple A-rated insurance companies, AMAC is able to deliver you choices. And more than that, AMAC has knowledgeable, licensed agents who will take the time to answer all of your questions, explain your options, and help you choose a plan that suits your individual needs. Personalized Medicare guidance from licensed, certified professionals, plus the ability to choose what's right for you, another reason why AMAC is better. So don't wait. The Medicare annual election period runs only through December 7. Speak to a trusted, licensed AMAC agent to discuss your needs. Learn more right away. Go to www.amac.us. That's www.amac.us. www.amac.us. What an outstanding organization. I encourage you to check it out. Here we go. Let's go to Cheryl Herndon, Virginia, the great WMAL. Go. Hey, Mark. Thanks for taking my call. Hey, I just wanted to let you know, um, my, my husband uh, was married uh, to a lady. She she died back in 2000. Um, but she was a court reporter on the Hill. And she was, um, so this and this would have been in the 90s. She was attractive, constantly hit on. The, the sexual harassment stuff has been going on for decades. Um, now, let me slow you down. The court reporter, you mean a stenographer at these committee hearings? Uh, I, I know she was a court reporter. I mean, a court reporter on the Hill. So In Congress? But, yes. You're, you're saying so members of Congress were constantly hitting on her? Yes, and other, I mean, uh, this is like a rampant, rampant. Especially back in the 90s. I mean, I don't, I, I, I'm just saying this is not, and I've heard stories about Ted Kennedy, drunk, literally laying on people on tables, pinning them down to a table. All right, all right, got it. And he's not the only one. You know, uh, some of these guys speaking out now, uh, there have been stories about them, And but uh, let, let's be honest, the media pick favorites, if it's a Republican who trashes Democrats or it's a... Fairly liberal Republican. They'll lay off that person for a while, or as best they can. Um, but if this is the, the – and I'm not doubting it. If this is really a, a – if it's endemic to, uh, to the powerful, to members of Congress and so forth and so on, there's been a dearth of reporting and certainly a dearth of, uh, of naming uh, the perpetrators. And I don't know why that is. It shouldn't be. Also, for me to say, I, I I remember reading some months back about um, interns who are well endowed are typically. Uh, uh, I don't want to get into all this stuff. I'm just saying, as a general matter, uh, I don't think this is covered properly. I really don't. When you're sending reporters down to Alabama, fine. Send them to Alabama. Send them to Alaska. Send them to Hawaii. Send them wherever you want. 
But how about you get them an Uber or a taxi and they go down the street and check out the Capitol building and who lives there and who works there? Particularly since a zillion red flags were just shot into the air uh, with respect to this resolution in the Senate and what uh, the testimony was today in the House of Representatives. It is appalling to me. Appalling to me what the media report and what they don't report, quite frankly. I'll be right back. From the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. I want to move on for now. I do not allow, I do not like when the, uh, when the entire, I don't want the entire show to be driven by the news of the day and so forth, even though some of these things we obviously must address. Paul Ryan is on TV and he's going on and on about his tax plan and his tax proposal and during the break I listen to some of it. He says, I want to make sure the people in the middle get the biggest break. The people at the top, they get, they've, they've, you know, all these decades, they've had loopholes, they've had all these breaks and so forth and so on. Now it's time for the people in the middle to get breaks. That's a new type of conservatism, ladies and gentlemen, because it's not conservatism at all. Nobody's asking for anybody to get breaks. Our work belongs to us. The value of our work belongs to us. The income, revenue, assets we acquire as a result of our work belongs to us. We're not asking them to give us a break. We're asking them to follow the Constitution. They're not giving us anything. It's your money. It's your labor, intellectual and physical. And it is a sad fact that Republicans, even while they claim to be cutting taxes or raising taxes on many people, it is a sad fact that they resort to similar propaganda as the worst elements of the left, which is exactly what Paul Ryan's been doing now for weeks. I have no personal animus against this man, none. Years and years ago, I considered him to be an acquaintance, not quite a friend, but we were quite friendly. And I like him on a personal level. This has nothing to do with that. Now, just to give this some perspective, why this kind of propaganda is very, very dangerous, because it goes unchallenged, it goes unchallenged by so-called conservatives who are so desperate to see these corporate rates reduced from 35% to 20%, and I am too, but they're so desperate that they even sound like socialists. Class warfare warriors. They tell us, oh, this is an A, B-plus program. Oh, it's the greatest cut since Reagan. All lies. History is a great thing, you know. Gives us perspective. Shows us experience. That's why we conservatives look at history so often. In 1787, the very year the Constitution was adopted in Philadelphia. 
John Adams wrote, Defense of the Constitutions of Government of the United States. He's defending the state constitutions in this particular essay. And he explained and he emphasized the crucial importance of protecting private property as a right from the tyranny of undiluted democracy. Now, when you earn a paycheck, that's private property. It doesn't have to be real estate. It doesn't have to be real property. When you earn a paycheck, that's your private property. Those are assets. That's revenue. That's your income. It belongs to you. You earned it. And the government better have a damn good reason for taking a lot of it. Redistributing wealth and funding the progressive agenda is not a damn good reason. Here's what Adams wrote way back then. By the way, he didn't even own any slaves. So everybody listen up. Suppose a nation, rich and poor, high and low, ten millions in number, all assembled together. Not more than one or two millions will have lands, houses, or any personal property. If we take into account the women and children, or even if we leave them out of the question, a great majority of every nation is wholly destitute of property except a small quantity of clothes and a few trifles of other movables. If all were to be decided by a vote of the majority, by the way, this is another reason why I reject populism in its purest form, or pure democracy, basically one and the same. If all were to be decided by a vote of the majority, the eight or nine millions who have no property would not think of usurping over the rights of the one or two millions who do. Properly, property is surely a right of mankind as really as liberty. <clears throat> Perhaps as first, prejudice, habit, shame, or fear, principle of religion would restrain the poor from attacking the rich and the idle from usurping on the industrious. But the time would not be long before courage and enterprise would come and pretexts be invented by degrees to countenance the majority in dividing all the property among them, or at least in sharing it equally with its present possessors. Debts would be abolished first, taxes laid heavy on the rich, and not all on the others. Almost sounds like today. And at last, a downright equal division of everything be demanded and voted. Here we have Adams predicting Marxism. What should be the consequence of this? The idle, the vicious, the intemperate would rush into the utmost extravagance of debauchery, sell and spend all their share, and then demand a new division of those who purchased from them. The moment the idea is admitted into society, that property is not as sacred as the laws of God, and that there is not a force of law and public justice to protect it. Anarchy and tyranny commence. If thou shalt not covet, and thou shalt not steal, were not commandments of heaven, they must be made invaluable precepts of every society before it can be civilized or made free. 
before it can be civilized, are made free. Because you see, ladies and gentlemen, individualism, freedom, private property are all inextricably linked. One cannot succeed without the other. One cannot succeed without the other. And I've made this case time and again. I wrote about it most recently in Rediscovering Americanism. It's important to remember. And property, you see, is even more than real property or even more than the money you earn on the job or in your business. And James Madison explained this in another brilliant essay, 1792. He provided an even more comprehensive explanation about the relationship between the individual, liberty, and property. He wrote, the term property in its particular application means that dominion which one man claims and exercises over the external things of the world, an exclusion of every other individual. In its larger and juster meaning, it embraces everything to which a man may attach a value and have a right, and which leaves to everyone else the like advantage. In the former sense, a man's land or merchandise or money is called his property. In the latter sense, a man has a property in his opinions and the free communication of them. He has a property of peculiar value in his religious opinions and in the profession and practice dedicated by them. He has a property very dear to him in the safety and liberty of his person. He has an equal property in the free use of his faculties and the free choice of the objects on which to employ them. In a word, a man is said to have a right to his property. He may be equally said to have a right in his rights. Where an excess of power prevails, property of no sort is duly respected. No man is safe in his opinions, his person, his faculties, or his possessions. And you can think of Venezuela. Where there is an excess of liberty, and he means by this anarchy, the effect is the same, though from an opposite cause. Anarchy, mobocracy, pure democracy, that sort of thing. Government is instituted to protect property of every sort. As well, that which lies in the various rights of individuals. As that which the term particularly expresses. This being the end of government, the purpose of government, that alone is a just government, which impartially secures to every man whatever is his own. According to this standard of merit, the praise of affording a just, securing to property should be sparingly bestowed on government, which, however scrupulously guarding the possessions of individuals, does not protect them in the enjoyment and communication of their opinions, in which they have an equal, and in the estimation of some a more valuable property. He's saying government shouldn't be involved in this stuff. More sparingly should this praise be allowed to a government where a man's religious rights are violated by penalties or fettered by tests or taxed by a hierarchy. Conscience is the most sacred of all property. Excuse me. Other property depending in part on positive law, the exercise of that being a natural and unalienable right. To guard a man's house as his castle. 
To pay public and enforce private debts, the most exact faith, can give no title to invade a man's conscience, which is more sacred than his castle, or to withhold from it that debt of protection for which the public faith is pledged by the very nature and original conditions of the social pact. Look, he's, what he's saying here is, you have a soul, you have a conscience, you have a faith, you have values, you have principles. These are your property too. And if the government has the power to control any of them and to control your, your physical property, then that leads to tyranny. That is not a just government, he says. Nor is property secure under it, where the property which a man has in his personal safety and personal liberty is violated by arbitrary seizures of one class of citizens for the service of the rest. And he goes on, and they all go on, and you can read it from Aristotle and Cicero, you can read it from Sidney and Locke and Montesquieu, you can read it from the Founding Fathers, you can read it from Milton Freeman and Thomas Sowell and Hayek and Mises and all the rest, Adam Smith, and they'd all be right. They said it in their own way, but they said it the right way. Which brings me back to the Republican tax proposals. This class warfare nonsense is deadly to our society. This class warfare nonsense, where we talk about the workers to the exclusion of what? All other citizens? Well, what are the rest of us? The focus shouldn't be on the middle class, a phrase invented by Marx and his ilk. There are no classes or castes in America. And this notion is played into not only by the left, but by the pseudo-right as well. There will always be elites. There will always be poor. There will always be people who are more in the middle rather than less in the middle. That's okay. That's how it works. The problem becomes when almost everybody's poor except the ruling elite. The problem becomes when you have Zimbabwe and Venezuela and Cuba, North Korea and other regimes, or even social democracies, where the common denominator is a poorer population, is a sicker population, is a less safe population, Britain, France, increasingly Germany, and so forth. These kind of societies aren't to be mimicked. They're to be rejected. And so when we have Republicans talking about, look, we came up with a plan that's really going to help the middle. That's, that's the propaganda of snake oil salesmen. What is the middle? Even in the House and Senate proposals, the middle changes. Some families that earn two hundred to five hundred thousand dollars a year. Wow, stick it to them, they're rich. Exactly, right? That never used to be the American mentality, but since the New Deal it certainly is. Since the progressive movement before it certainly is. Apparently they're gonna get hit the hardest. Apparently they're gonna get hit the hardest. They're gonna see almost no tax reduction and they're gonna see potentially significant tax increases. And these are people who work hard, too. They're workers. 
quote unquote. They pay a lot of taxes. If you have a man or a woman, they're remarried and they're earning, the family's earning $312,000 a year. Under some of these proposals, the alimony payments they're paying, making are no longer deductible. The interest on their homes, over $500,000, and I'm not saying $500,000 in interest, a $500,000 home. Let's say they have a $783,000 home. The extra $283,000, the interest that applies to that is no longer deductible. The property taxes they pay on their home, no longer deductible. The state income taxes they pay, no longer deductible. Those people, as well as many of you who may not be in that category, are going to get slammed. Slammed. And at the top rate, the Republicans are managing to do something that Barack Obama could only have dreamt of. Driving up the top rate. The top rate from 39.6% to 45.6%, another 3.8% of Obamacare on top of that. No citizen in this country should be starting at a rate of 50%. No citizen in this country. Just remember what Adam said. Just remember what Madison said. Just remember your common sense. I'll be right back. Lovin. Now, I am prepared to debate all comers. The more the merrier. We have George in Potomac, Maryland, one of the wealthiest places in the country, on the great WMAL. Go! Mark, first of all, thank you for taking my call. I do appreciate it. Uh, Listen, I listen to you all the time. I agree with most everything you say. I do think... I do think you got it wrong about the wisdom of eliminating the deductions, particularly state and local taxes and the mortgage interest deduction. I think we should lower taxes, but I think that these are subsidies to the states. They let them bloat the budgets and uh, particularly. Tell me who the fills out who fills out these tax returns? The states or the individual? That would be individuals filling out the tax returns. Okay, so you're telling a guy who lives in Potomac, Maryland, who's taking a deduction. Uh, no, because that's a subsidy to your state. Let me ask you a question, sir. They're not talking about a flat tax across the board. They're not talking about a fair tax. They're barely adjusting rates, by the way. They're, they're, they're reducing rates for some people and increasing them by eliminating... I want to keep you on, by the way, by eliminating deductions. This isn't about subsidizing blue states. You know, a lot of people in red states make these same deductions. Are you aware of that? Yes, I am aware of that. Okay, well, hold on. We, I want to explore this with you. We'll be right back. This is where liberalism ends and liberty begins. The Mark Levin Show at 877-381-3811. Not one penny. That's how much funding Hillsdale College receives from the government. Not even indirectly in the form of student loans or grants. Not one penny. The vast majority of colleges receive around 30% of their revenue from government funding, loans, and grants. That makes them dependent on the government and taxpayers like you and me for them to stay in business. In contrast, Hillsdale refuses every penny of government funding. Why? Because money from the government comes with strings attached. 
do's and don'ts, restrictions and mandates that dictate how a school operates and educates. But from the beginning in 1844, Hillsdale has provided a world-class education that upholds America's founding principles and preserves the blessings of civil and religious liberty. Everything Hillsdale does, from the financial aid 97% of its students receive to the completely free online courses it offers, depends on generous donations from donors who recognize the worth of independence. Not one penny preserves the integrity of a Hillsdale education. Not one penny ensures that Hillsdale can continue to be a beacon of independence for all its students across America. I want you to check them out. You can learn a whole lot more, and you can have a lot of fun there, too, at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. All right, I want to get back to George. So, George, your your uh, premise is, look, I agree with you most of the time, Mark, but I disagree with you on these deductions. You shouldn't be able to deduct property taxes and state income taxes because, in essence, then the federal government is subsidizing the blue states. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, with not necessarily blue states, but yes, yeah, states, yes, that's correct. Subsidizing the states, and yet states don't pay federal income taxes, right? Uh, but individuals do pay state income taxes, and individuals pay, pay federal income taxes. So how are we subsidizing the states? Well, let me give you an example here. Let's, let's take an example of my home state. Well, let me ask you, when companies depreciate assets, equipment, and so on, are they getting subsidies? Well, that's a business expense, isn't it? Well, yes, I'm asking you, is that? But they write it off on their taxes, on their federal taxes. Is that a subsidy? Well, I mean, it's kind of a, a gray area, I guess you could say. It's not a gray area. If, you're, if your position is that money is being taken out of the federal coffers to help blue states or states because individuals are deducting their property taxes or their state income taxes, in order to benefit themselves, that is, in order to keep more of their own money that never belonged to the federal government in the first place, then the logic does follow that if businesses are going to deduct, uh, are going to uh, depreciate their assets in order to get uh, deductions on their corporate income tax sheets, that's a subsidy by the federal government, yes or no? I'll give you another one. Charitable, I'll let you speak, but I want to get them all out there. Charitable contributions, contributions to churches and synagogues or or, um, or no-kill, uh, you know, animal shelter, whatever it is. That's a deduction. That it has, it's generating revenue for 10 years, but hypothetically, let's say that the federal tax... Let me stop you right there. It doesn't matter if it's generating revenue. That's not your point. Your premise is that these deductions, whether they generate revenue or not, that these deductions uh, are are assisting blue states. Or states, period. Go ahead. Okay. So, hypothetically, let's say my home state of Maryland increases my taxes by $1,000, right? Mm -hmm. The state of Maryland's treasury, their general fund, is getting an extra $1,000 every year. Now, after I file both my state and federal taxes, how much more net am I paying in taxes? Let's say I'm in the 25% bracket. If I'm in the 25% bracket, I'm paying $750 more. Where does that $250 difference come from? Where does Maryland get the other $250? Maryland, let, let me tell you something. If we had no federal income tax whatsoever, none, you'd still be paying state income taxes and state property taxes. Yes, that's true. So you're the beneficiary of the deduction, not the state. The company is the beneficiary 
of the uh, of of the depreciation. Not anybody else. Hold on now. The charitable organization is the beneficiary. But look, if your argument is, Mark, wouldn't it be better to across the board have a much lower rate, slash the rates, or to have a national sales tax in exchange for these deductions? I would agree with you. Not because I care about what the states think or the feds think. I care about the individual who's earned the money. Right. Now, let me ask you another question. And by the way, I'm not picking on you. I just find this interesting. Uh, do we subsidize Medicare? Do we subsidize Medicare through the payroll tax? No. People pay the payroll tax, but that's not enough to cover no, people on Medicare. And the people who are on Medicare today, they never paid in enough to cover the expenses they have now. They know it, but it's it's set right. up as an as theoretically an insurance program, right? Uh, yeah, in theory, although not really. But it's not. We know it's not. So right. people who are working today are subsidizing people on Medicare today, just as people on Medicare today were subsidizing people on Medicare yesterday, right? Yes, that's how retirement systems work, correct. Okay. And the same with Social Security, right? Correct. Okay. So why would we pick on people who have homes, who've made investments, who are paying taxes, payroll taxes, Federal income taxes, state income taxes, state property taxes, interest on their mortgage. And why would we say to them, you know what, everybody else is subsidized, your language, theoretically, but you, nah, your deduction we're going to take away. That doesn't so seem very fair to me. deductions, we should cut them all, right? I'm saying that's right. And they're not even, they're not even flirting with the idea. And that's why I say these guys don't want to cut government. Let me tell you what they're doing. They are screwing the individual income taxpayer in many of their so-called categories of income. Except they're creating more non-taxpayers. They'll tell you, you know what? Your first $24,000, you don't pay one cent in taxes. Let me tell you what that's doing. That's increasing the number who pay no federal income taxes from 47% to 50%. It means there's a bigger burden on the people who are already paying taxes. And then you get the Marxist propaganda or a Marxist-type propaganda from from uh, uh, Paul Ryan who's talking about Look, the rich have these loopholes. Enough of the loopholes. Why doesn't he define the loopholes? What loopholes exactly is Paul, are, are, are Paul Ryan talking about? He never tells about, us. Uh, yeah, I'm talking about two specific deductions, the uh, state and local taxes and the uh, mortgage interest. So, you, first All right, so let me ask you a question. Let's talk about it even further. So if you buy a home that's $5 million, Five hundred thousand. The first five hundred thousand you you paid on your home. The interest related to the first five hundred thousand is deductible. The rest of it's not. Tell me how many five million dollar home. It'll have some effect on people buying five million dollars. Let's even make it easier. It'll have some effect on people buying one million dollar homes, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, Correct. what is the the great the great positive affirmative policy in doing that? So you're saying might, that the eliminating the mortgage interest will have a downward effect on housing prices. It'll lower housing Of course prices. it will. And not only that, who does that affect? Do billionaires build homes? Yes. Are they the ones putting roofs on their homes, tiles on the wall, carpet on the floor, faucets? Are they the are they the plumbers and the electricians and the roofers and the construction workers? They're none of those. 
You ask a construction worker, an electrician, or a plumber. They love working on expensive homes. It's a big-time job. Yes, I know that, yes. Okay, so why would the Speaker of the House be using class warfare like this? Class warfare, I don't... I don't all right, getting away from who, what's their incentive, what's their game plan, all that stuff. I'm just asking, what is the impact of the deductions, and are they a good thing for our policy? And the more, guess, my, my attitude is the more money individuals can keep, the better. However, our politicians have to be responsible enough to start cutting government. They will not do it. Do you know that the deficit this last year, this last fiscal government year, which runs to uh, September 30th? I know it ought to be on a calendar year, but they do everything weird. It's not on a calendar year. It runs from uh, October 1st to September 30th. Do you know it was higher than the year before, and the Republicans were in control for two-thirds of the year, of the fiscal year? It's been since 1917. Yes, I know, I know. You know what? You know what? What did you say? You know what about 1917? Yeah, the the deficit, the budget, the the expenditure has been higher every year. No, no, no. No, the deficit isn't higher every year. Their deficit this year... When the House of Representatives has been controlled by the Republicans since 2011, the Senate's been controlled by the Republicans since 2015, and with the Republican president, the annual deficit, as opposed to the overall debt, and I'm talking to the whole nation here too, is higher this year than it was under the last full year of Obama. Okay, all right, fine. Well, that's the problem. So basically, they're saying, we need more revenue. We need more revenue. So the purpose, basically, of taxation is not to fund the legitimate activities of the federal government under our Constitution. It's to fund the illegitimate activities of the federal government, the progressive agenda, and redistribution of wealth. That's where the vast majority of this goes. It doesn't go to national security and defense, most of it. It doesn't go to infrastructure like roads and so forth, most of it. It doesn't go to those things that only the federal government can do. It goes to many of those things that anybody can do. All right, sir. Look, you've been great. By the way, do you have CRTV, Levin TV? I, I don't. I don't. But, I mean, honestly, I wish um, I wish you would really consider cutting uh, cutting deductions. Do you, do you agree with the premises, the, excuse me, not the premises, the premise that cutting rates and cutting deductions would be a good thing if they could do it the right way? You just don't like how they're doing it? Or... But they, well, they're, they're cutting deductions, and they're cutting them in a way where the rates are not coming down for the people who are paying most of the taxes. Well, and that may be that. that. Hold on now. So I don't buy into political gimmicks to answer your question. Okay. So taxes need to go down forever. George, do you, do you deduct your property taxes? Yeah, I live in a high-tax state. Yes. Yeah, you I'm live in Potomac, Maryland. Do you deduct your income taxes? Yeah, I pay, I pay t- a crap ton of state and local taxes. I'm I just wanted to know. Taxes. Yes. Okay, just was curious. Yeah, no, but I, but I but I believe it's a good thing because I think that it will pressure the state of Maryland to ultimately no, lower their taxes. No, no, it won't. Why would it? Or it could move to Virginia, or it could move to Pennsylvania. Yeah, well, Virginia's out of control now, too. I guess Bermuda's the next place. All right, my friend, thank you for your call. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. some of these 
supply side, and I like to say I'm a supply sider in many respects too. What they're not really comprehending is they talk about all the growth that's going to be created by cutting the corporate income tax rate from 35 to 20 percent, which I think is absolutely right. The problem is, ladies and gentlemen, if you can't afford your home any longer, uh, all that growth won't matter because it takes time for growth to, to occur. Maybe it'll take a year, two, three years. In the meantime, you've got to pay your mortgage. In the meantime, you have to pay your taxes. And you may not be able to catch up to that growth if you're affected by that growth. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you'll have a three, four, five, eight, nine, ten thousand dollar $10,000 salary increase or increase in your bottom line if you're running a small business. So once again, you have these, these masterminds who speak more theoretically than they do about specific cases. And the funny thing is, I'm accused of that. But my focus... Reagan's focus, Smith, Adam Smith's focus, Hayek, Mises, Freeman is on the individual. Just like the founders of the country, it's on the individual. Not uh, fictionally organized income groups or um, you'll have an average of this, of this group. When you pay your taxes, you're not interested in an average of this, of this group. You know what you paid for your house. You know when you took a sharp pencil to make determinations on what you can and cannot afford. And a lot of people who are not filthy rich, who may have purchased a home that's worth six, seven, eight hundred thousand dollars, and all of a sudden they're being told the interest on any of that above your five hundred thousand, that is the interest on the five hundred thousand, the interest on the remaining two hundred fifty or three hundred thousand is no longer deductible, they might lose their home. Or they might lose their home if they can't fully deduct their property taxes and their state income taxes. Again, they could have been enormously, many of you, responsible, sat down, figured out what you could afford and what you can't afford. And now you're being told, don't worry, $2 trillion is going to come in from overseas uh, through corporate relief. Don't worry. Uh, corporations are going to get a 35 to 20% deduction. Look, this is, I'm not talking about class warfare. I'm talking about economics. This has to be a, a more uh, sort of a horizontal growth across all revenue streams, across all income streams, corporate and individual, small business, international corporations, small proprietorships, and wage earners across the board slash. Instead, they, they out there, they're sounding like Saul Linsky. Divide and conquer, class warfare. You know, they're rich, they have all these loopholes. Who talks like this? Who talks like this? I'm considered rich. I'm considered rich. Not super duper incredibly rich, but rich. I deduct property taxes. I deduct interest on a home. I don't even have any dependents anymore, so I'm not deducting them. Well, what are the great deductions? What are all the loopholes? I don't know. Maybe some people park their money overseas and do this, that, and the other. But how many people do that? So I'm not aware of these great deductions. I'm just not aware of them. And yet, there's Paul Ryan, sounding like Bernie Sanders. What if you're forced to pull the trigger? you know exactly what to say when the police arrive? Look, these are important things every responsible gun owner needs to know. 
And you'll find all the answers in the USCCA's Complete Concealed Carry and Family Defense Guide. But you're about to miss your chance to get yours completely free. In your 164-page guide and free audio book, you'll learn how to detect attackers before they see you, the safest and most dangerous places to sit in a restaurant, how to responsibly own and store a gun, even if you have little ones, and a lot more. But they're only offering this to you, my listeners, for a few more days. That's it. So if you want a free copy, you must hurry. If you act fast, you'll even get a bonus home defense checklist. Simply head over to DefendThem.com right now to get yours before it's gone. That's DefendThem.com, DefendThem.com. Okay. Let's take a look. Isaac, Eatontown, New Jersey, the great WABC. Go. Good evening, Mark. Greetings yes, from sir. the deep blue. How are you? You're, you're welcome. Congratulations. Shabbat shalom. <laughs> Um, I was uh, just calling to say, uh, am I crazy for feeling? I, I fall into that category of the two hundred to 500,000. Well, guys. you're going to get whacked. Yes. I talked it over with my accountant. It's, it's looking ugly. And, and here's and the I, thing. Not only are people like you going to get whacked, nobody's going to care because your numbers are, no. are small compared to other numbers in terms and, of the and population. That's what, I was, that's what I was calling about. Am I crazy for feeling that my... And I'm not into the class warfare thing, but am I crazy for feeling like that the middle to upper middle class is like a hated category right now on both yes. sides of the aisle? And I don't know why. I don't know why since we pay most of the taxes in this country. No, but not only that, we're the strength and we're the backbone of a great democratic society. The more the middle class is diminished and squeezed, we are on the road to a collapse on the likes of the Soviet Union, on the likes of the Romans. Middle-class societies are the greatness of any democracy, and it just feels like they want to squeeze us out of existence. All right, my friend. I, uh, I get your pain, trust me. We'll be right back. From the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. I haven't even talked about the immorality of confiscatory taxes. Put aside the uh, green eye shades and the pencil pushing, the immorality of it. Remember what I've told you in the past. Remember what took place in the Boston Harbor. Taxation without representation. Well, Mark, we have representation today. Well, do we? So many of the decisions in this country... Our representatives are not even involved in them. Federal regulations. More and more the federal courts, nationalizing more and more areas in which they seize control of the decision-making. But even putting that aside, I want you to remember that there was a call for a convention, a meeting, before that which took place in Philadelphia. 
several months earlier, the states were concerned. They were concerned about the lack of commerce and trade taking place between and among the states, let alone with other governments, because of the rules that were in place. One state punishing another. One state punishing the residents of other states trying to do business in their own state. And it had reached a desperate point. And so there was a call for a meeting to discuss this, to resolve this, in Annapolis, Maryland. And I write about this briefly in Rediscovering Americanism. And I'll bet most of you didn't even know about it unless you listened to this program. Well, truthfully, not enough states sent enough delegates, but some delegates were there, including Alexander Hamilton, who wrote about it. And so, they called for another meeting, which took place in Philadelphia, and you know the rest of it pretty much. So the intention of the first meeting in Annapolis was to advance commerce and trade. The second meeting that took place in Philadelphia, among other things, what they included in their proposed constitution was this clause that we call the Commerce Clause. The purpose of the Commerce Clause was to promote commerce. Today, the Commerce Clause is used by the federal courts and used by the federal bureaucracy and the executive branch to destroy commerce, to destroy private property rights, to destroy trade. And this is where Bernie Sanders and the nationalist populists are way off because they talk about, you know, we ought to do this and this has tariffs and this does that and this does this and so forth and so on. The purpose of tariffs is to provide funding to the federal government. At least it was before there was a federal income tax, as an example. Does that mean that politicians, old and new, haven't been protectionists? Of course not. But that wasn't the purpose. What we've done with the tax code is not raise the monies needed for the federal government to conduct itself as provided in the Constitution. What we've done with the tax codes is to create a maze of rules that if you're tripped up, you can go to prison. If you don't pay enough money to the government, you can be heavily fined and penalized. But more than that, it is a massive document, the purpose of which is to create winners and losers. Not simply fund the the necessities of the federal government. None of us would argue against some level of taxation. Adam Smith even makes a point of saying, of course. Hayek makes the same point. Of course. We're not in favor of anarchy. We're in favor of constitutionalism, you and I. None of this is discussed. If you read my book, Plunder and Deceit, you know what a disaster is looming in the decades ahead for your kids and grandkids and generations yet born on the size of the government, the size of the debt, all the borrowing that's going on. It's not addressed. It's never addressed. And so they talk about, we need to make this revenue neutral. It's not revenue neutral. They don't even spend one penny trying to pay down the debt. It's just assumed it's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger, and when they're dead and gone, so be it. So be it. 
I look at these tax proposals, I find them to be insane, quite frankly. I know people are very excited. We're going to lower the rates 35 to 20% on corporations. Great. That's going to create growth. Great. For some people, it'll be beneficial. For some people, it won't because of what they're doing on the individual tax side. But for all of us, because they will not address a massive debt, particularly the unfunded liabilities, which exceed $200 trillion, it'll be a disaster. And the supply siders seem to think we can grow ourselves out of a over $200 trillion unfunded liability debt. Really? Well, the entire economy is $17.6 trillion. So we could take every single penny out of the economy for the next 12 years and pretend the debt doesn't grow, and then you can pay off the debt. But, of course, in the next 12 years, the unfunded liabilities could be $300, $350 trillion. They're increasing by 5 to $7.5 trillion a year. A year. Debt on top of debt on top of debt. IOUs on top of IOUs on top of IOUs. Let me ask you a question. Here's one for you, Mr. Producer. If they had massive tax cuts in Venezuela, would that save that country? No, it wouldn't. If they applied right now supply-side economics to that country, would it survive? No, it wouldn't. Why? Because the civil society has collapsed. That's why. Because the civil society has collapsed. Which means the economic system is not an economic system at all. The entire society has to be rebuilt. It's more than a tax issue at that point. This is my point about these things being inextricably linked. If we're not going to argue for reducing the size and spending in government when it comes to tax reform, if we're not going to really push for it when it comes to lifting the debt ceiling, well, when the hell are we going to debate it and discuss it? Never, apparently. Never. There are things that can be done at this point to try and address these issues, have growth, strengthen the private sector, not just through corporate tax cuts, but individual tax cuts across the board, which would strengthen the housing market, strengthen the retail markets, and on and on and on. It has a uh, resonates throughout the economy, a, a, a domino effect. But we must get spending under control. And even when we spend, we spend on the wrong things. The Chinese military is on the rise. It's enormously powerful. Despite the fact that some radio hosts and TV hosts just dismiss it, it's no big deal, look how small they are compared to us. Sure, the Brits said that about America too at one point. Everybody said it about Germany at one point. Nobody thought Russia would be a superpower at one point. you got to look down the road and see the trajectory of these various civilizations and countries. Some people would argue that we, our trajectory is beginning to decline. I think they're probably right. And if we don't reverse course, I know they're right. Because we are embracing all the wrong things about a society and attacking all the right things about a society. 
But the Chinese don't care about that, the Chinese government. They are hell-bent on having the most powerful country on the face of the earth, and they're headed in that direction. And we sit back, and we refuse to rebuild our military. We use our military as a social experiment. We're talking about using our women, our ladies, your mothers, your wives, your daughters, whomever, on the front lines of combat. I mean, this, this is evidence to me of a declining society where our values are out of kilter. So I look at this tax code argument, or the tax reform argument, and I have to listen to Republicans doing the class warfare stuff? We, we, we listen about this new massive movement, the nationalist populist, and now they add the word conservative movement. It is, it is, it is not even defined in a coherent way. To the extent I understand it, it borrows way too much from the left and rejects way too much in terms of constitutional republicanism. Not the Republican Party, republicanism. There are certain things that are right and certain things that are wrong. There are certain things that are true and certain things that are false. We know this based on history, and we also know it instinctively. We could never have a pure democracy, and you would never want one. If we had a pure democracy, if this was truly a populist country and we wanted populism, there'd be no electoral college and Hillary Clinton would be president. There'd be no, necess- there'd be no need for federalism. You don't want these states to get in the way of true populism, national populism, and nationalism for that matter. Federalism gets in the way of nationalism. The whole point of federalism is to get in the way of nationalism and centralism. And the word nationalism is confused because I think what many people mean when they say it is Americanism. America first, Americanism. Americanism. The first nationalist populists were the progressives. The mid-1800s all the way to today. And the tax code. Now we're arguing, like Bernie Sanders, like populists, well, at least the rich. We'll get them on the loopholes. We'll get the loopholes on the rich. We'll take care of the middle class. We're using Marxist jargon. It's just grotesque. It's repulsive to me. It's repulsive to me. These proposals coming out of the Senate and the House as apply to Individual human beings, individual families, in my view, are a disaster. The reason why Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell and this guy Kevin Brady and all the rest cannot say all of you will get a tax cut is because all of you won't get a tax cut. It's some of you will get a substantial tax increase. They'll pass it. They'll claim they're doing it for the working people, quote-unquote, the proletariat against the bourgeoisie. Sound familiar? And in the end, you're going to have a lot of pissed-off people because you're being lied to. This is deceptive. And when you start to bring this stuff up, it says, the president needs a win. The president needs a win. The president needs a win. No, the American people need a win. The American people need a win. So I've come to the conclusion, reluctantly, as somebody who initially said this is 85% good and 15% bad, that that's exactly wrong. It's exactly the opposite.
It's exactly the opposite. It's 15% good and 85% bad. So I oppose both of these plans as they've been articulated up to now. I know they're, they're playing with it on the, uh, on the edges and so forth. But as they articulate it to us, there's a lot of bad in these proposals. Because they're coming at it the wrong way. And they do not want to cut government. They do not want to cut government. Let's go to Arne in Atlantic City, New Jersey, the great WPGG. How are you, sir? Oh, just fine, Mark. Always enjoy listening to you. Um, the thing, you. I've noticed it's a couple of things you got right right on the nose, and then you got distracted and missed a couple of points about the deductions and about income. Well, educate us all. Yes. Well, I'm a systems analyst, so I study this, and I've crunched the numbers for decades now. And you being a law guy uh, probably could better appreciate it than most. Um, one of the things is that uh, the uh, deductions are basically a redirection of funds that uh, instead of you paying it to the government, you're paying it to their favorite parties. But more important than that... I don't know about you, but when I deduct my property tax, I'm not paying it to a favorite party. What are you talking about? Well, I get to keep more money. I'm not paying it to anybody. It's a deduction. Well, you're still out that money. You're, it's going to the uh, uh, the town or something like that. Uh, if I'm paying a dedu- if you're saying the net effect is that the town or the state gets the net difference between my deduction and the total, you're exactly right. But the deduction itself isn't a payment to a party. Yes, yes, that's correct. I stand corrected on that part, on that point. The thing is, is that the federal and state income tax are based on the same uh, part of the system as as found by the, the court since uh, the beginning of the country. The thing is, is that... Uh, slow down. There were no federal and state income taxes at the beginning of the country. Well, basically, prior to 1913, they did have the income tax, and the 16th Amendment was passed to clarify it. The, the point is... No, what happened was, during the Civil War... There was an unconstitutional temporary income tax immediately after the Civil War. I actually believe I'm doing it off the top of my head, 1868. There, It was dropped. In fact, Lincoln's Treasury Secretary even said it's unconstitutional, but we need it. But the Civil War was not the beginning of the country in any event. Go ahead. Well, well basically, uh, another way to look at because I used to work for insurance and banks and that sort of thing, is to look at uh, the courts have said that income is a profit or gain on a corporate privilege, which is sort of like an insurance policy, and the tax is basically the dividend. Where are we going with this since I have one minute left? Okay. Well, basically what it comes down to is Philadelphia tried to pass an income tax, and they were admonished from it, so they they passed the wage tax, which is not income. And when we mixed the two, we confused the points because of indoctrination. All right, my friend. I appreciate your call. By the way... We used to have a place in the Berkeley there, right on the edge of Atlantic City and Ventnor. We spent many, many wonderful summers there. I'll be right back. Excellent Levin TV tonight. Just saying. Just saying. I do. I mean, I think put a lot into it. I think uh, those of you who subscribe and 
watch Levin TV. I think you you enjoy it. I mean, we, we really do spend a lot of time on it, and we do our very best. I enjoy it. Darlene, trucker, Kentucky, Sirius Satellite, quickly, go, please. Uh, yes, Mark, thank you for taking my call. You bet. Um, like I was telling your call screener, Mr. Call screener, mm-hmm. a lot of people might disagree with me, but if we keep our taxes the same, cut corporate, you know, S-Corp, small business, you know, all those people, get rid of death tax, please. And just start paying on the debt if, you know, if Congress would stop with their malarkey. You know, that's not a bad idea. You should be in the uh, Senate from Kentucky. Maybe you'll run against McConnell. Lower the corporate tax rate. Bring in the trillions of dollars from overseas. Get rid of the death tax for, among others, farmers and so forth. Leave the rest of us alone because you're screwing around with the individual tax rate in very bizarre ways. I like the Darlene plan. We'll be back. is the nation's town hall meeting and you can join in at 877-381-3811 let me tell you a little something you notice i haven't talked about roy moore all show pretty much there are people now who are backtracking particularly pundits on tv radio with websites and so forth i don't have to backtrack The things I've said all along are consistent about the reporting, about the timing. I never declared him innocent. I never declared him guilty. I never declared the women innocent. I've never declared them guilty. I've made the point over and over again that it's up to the people of Alabama, not up to Mitch McConnell and Cory Gardner and the rest. People of Alabama will make a decision. I have faith in the American people to try and sort these things out. This was dropped into the lap of the American people, particularly the people in Alabama, and they're having to sort it through. There's all kinds of politics being played, all kinds of stuff going on in the shadows. The Gloria Allred shows up. That's always interesting and so forth and so on. But when things like this happen, and unfortunately these these events, they seem to happen more often than not, and not just claims of sexual harassment and so forth. Ask Mr. Producer, what do I tell you, Rich? I don't need to be the first one in. I wait. I look at it. If there's an article like the Washington Post, I'll read it a few times. I'll try and analyze it. I'll try and figure out what's going on. I'll try and figure out if there are events and forces that are at play. Typically there are that are not revealed to us. What's the agenda of the newspaper? What's the agenda of the Republican establishment? Quite frankly, what's the agenda of the Moore campaign? And so forth and so on. So I'm not in a position where all of a sudden I have to reverse course. I have to leak stuff to the media. I have to do that. I don't do that stuff. I try to be as honest as we, with you as I can. And I try and figure out what's going on. Sometimes I'm right. Sometimes I'm wrong. Uh, no brag, just fact. Most of the time I'm right. Nothing new has come out today that I'm aware of on Roy Moore. I think they said he was banned from a mall, a mall or, or something of that sort. He denies it. 
Um, the the lady who was with uh, Allred talked about uh, being assaulted uh, after having waited uh, waitressed at a restaurant, and Moore says he's not even familiar with the restaurant. I, I it is impossible for me to be the judge and jury, and so I'm not the judge and jury. But it's not impossible for me to look at what's taking place, both the article, the claims, the environment, the circumstances, the politics, and to analyze that, which is exactly what we've done. So I don't need to reverse course. I don't need to say I was thinking this when I meant to think. It it, it just, it's unnecessary. It's unnecessary. Well, that's for whatever it's worth. You know, shopping online has its pluses. Also has some risks. With the holidays fast approaching, here are some tips to help keep your identity and financial information safe. Always use a secure Internet connection rather than vulnerable hotspots. Shop on sites with secure payment methods like credit cards or gift cards. Create strong passwords. Be wary of deals that are just too good to be true. And finally, avoid phony shopping apps. Identity fraud costs Americans $16 billion in 2016. If you're only monitoring your credit, your identity can still be stolen in ways you may not even detect. Thieves could sell your information on the dark web or get an online payday loan in your name. LifeLock detects a wide range of identity threats. If they detect your information, they'll send you an alert. No one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses. But go to LifeLock.com or call 1-800-LIFELOCK because I think they're the best. That's LifeLock.com or 1-800-LIFELOCK. In either case, use promo code LEVIN, that's L-E-V-I-N, for 10% off your LifeLock membership. Visit LifeLock.com or call 800-LIFELOCK, use promo code LEVIN, and save 10% right now. A friend of mine writes, real riches are the riches possessed inside. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Let's continue. Vince, Morgan Hill, California. I know exactly where it is. The great KSFO. How are you? I'm great, Mark. How are you? Very well. Used to drive through Morgan Hill and Gilroy and always look forward to uh, the garlic uh, season. Man, you can smell that stuff 25 miles away, and it smells great. Oh, absolutely. Well, Hey, Mark, I'm glad you have faith because I'm starting to lose faith, and maybe that's just because I live here in the People's Republic of Financial Suicide. I have never met more people in my life that make between 250 and 500K that live paycheck to paycheck or month to month. Mm. It's just completely insane. I I honestly don't think people realize how much you pay in taxes. It's incredible. Well, if you make over 250 here in California, then you're at 13.9% on top of the federal nut. And then we've got, you know, for, for homeowners like myself, if you've been here for a while, you're protected by Prop 13. And I know you know what that is, but I don't know if your audience is, but we're protected by these radical increases in property taxes because the property values are so insane here. And there's this argument that they want to get rid of Prop 13, which would probably double, triple, quadruple people's property taxes. On of top course of they want to get rid of it because it's, it's a governor on the governors. 
it's just it's just completely insane. And and I got to tell you, there's there's a big part of me that just wants to see this whole thing blow up, mm-hmm. so people finally realize how out of con- I, I don't know what it's going. They won't. They won't. They won't finally realize it. In fact, uh, this is how many of the more radical elements uh, take over when the civil society collapses. But California is unfortunately a one-party state. The uh, Democrats rule with an iron fist. Uh, they have control of virtually every corner of the state. There are a few safe havens, a few pockets, but even those are shrinking. You know, the San Francisco area, that uh, excuse me, San Diego area, that used to be hardcore Republican. You can see it shrinking. Irvine, Huntington Beach, those areas are sinking. Orange County, in many respects, has sunk. It's it's horrible. It's horrible. And it's not going to get better because the very people in control of your government are ensuring that the uh, policies are in place uh, that empower them even further. Well, Mark, I, I think you're going to see a, an exodus of the, the people that are paying a big portion of the taxes, and, and they're really going to start. You already to are. I mean, yeah, it's just, it's insane. Hey, thank you for your book, Rediscovering America. I read that over my summer vacation, and it, it did give me a lot of hope. It, that should be required reading for high school and college students. It's so All right, my brother. Better place. Well, Vince, I appreciate it. You take care. I'm not sure rediscovering Americanism and the tyranny of progressivism gives hope. What it does is, and maybe this is what Vince meant, it provides a basis of information that I doubt most of you have ever been presented with, certainly not in one place. And there have been many, many wonderful book reviews that have been written about rediscovering Americanism. Uh, And I read them from time to time. Kevin Williamson, a National Review, had an outstanding review, in my opinion, if I can review a review. But there were many. Many. And I'm not hawking the book. I mean, it's not uh, it's not a new book at this point. Well, it's less than six months old. There are other people with books out now. But I think this book and most of the other books that I've written will be around a very, very long time, probably beyond my uh, mortal existence. Jess, Pompton Lakes, New Jersey, Sirius Satellite, go. Uh, hello. I feel that these uh, tax plans by the Republicans are very similar to what was put forth uh, by the Republicans for the Obamacare repeals in that they are shoddy, subpar bills that, if passed, will fail in popular opinion. And the reason for doing so is they want to be able to say an outsider president was an overall failure. They don't care if it passes. They don't care if it's a success. They don't care if we get hurt. I, I disagree with that. I think they desperately want it to pass, and they're going to try and use it in the election to run. Uh, the effects of it won't be fully felt until after the next election cycle. But they're going to go on, and, and they're, going to, they're going to be almost schizophrenic in their language and rhetoric. They're going to be talking about how they got the rich, and it's for the middle class. So they're going to sound like leftists. But on the other hand, they're going to pretend that this is all about um, unleashing a... Uh, the economy and um, and supply side and and individual uh, growth and all the rest of it. So they're 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 going to be caught up in their own propaganda. And you don't think in their overall goal is to point it back at the president and say, "See, he." Was uh, I don't think at all. I think their overall goal is to pretend they're doing something really historic when, in fact, they continue to grow the government. I don't think it's about Trump. Another quick thing, uh, Mark, by the way, I did hear today regarding uh, 
uh, Roy Moore that uh, handwriting experts have said that... Now, you saw it on one or two websites. That's where you saw it, that it's not his handwriting. I believe it is his handwriting. Uh, I'm no expert, uh, but I believe it is his handwriting. But let's say it is his handwriting. Does that prove that he molested somebody? Of course not. Well, not, you know what? I don't think we'll ever know. And that is the, <clears throat> the damnable a part of all this. It's brought up close to an election. It's not brought up six, eight, ten months ago, five years ago, eight years ago. And we're told it's because people were afraid to come forward. Well, they're not afraid to come forward now. I mean, uh, it's just, uh, there are just certain things here <clears throat> that are troubling, a- including the allegations, by the way, the substance of them, if they're true. But what bothers me is, is, is the manner in which they come forward, the inability to really rationally make determinations. You got people say, well, I'm persuaded by this and I'm persuaded by that. Well, so what? And many people have their own agenda. They want to be seen as, uh, on the right side of this, or or they don't want it to affect the re-election chances. Or, what the hell do I know? I don't know. But that's uh, inconsequential to me. All right, Jess, I appreciate your call. Madison, Du Bois, Pennsylvania, Sirius Satellite, go. Hi, Mark. I am nervous. It's an honor to talk to you. Um, you. Me and my husband are at the 250, Mark. We're considered rich. I'm not rich. This All right, has- slow down, slow down, slow down. May I ask, what do you and your husband do? Well, my husband's retired military, and he works two different positions at the same company. So essentially, he has two different jobs at the same company. And I am not a truck driver. I am an independent contractor. I'm the guy that brings you your utility trucks in a hurricane. Or girl. Okay, so you are a driver. He is retired military and has another job or two. And yet you're considered rich. This is my whole damn point. It's ridiculous. Right. And I spent 270 days on the average a year away from my home with my husband and my dog. And, mm-hmm. you know, this tax, I don't know how you call it, tax cuts when you're going to up what I call legalized or armed robbery, their earned income credit and child credits. It's not fair. No, it's not. And the point is, why? why should people who pay no taxes get a an increase in in their subsidy and why should there be more people who don't pay taxes why should more why why they're growing the government the debt's getting bigger and bigger now they want to have family leave they got a thousand ideas on how to spend our money but that's the point it's our money and now there's 50 percent of us who are paying the taxes and out of the 50 percent most of the people who paid are in the top five percent you may be in the top five percent by the way and the way they talk about these percentages and these, the rich and their loopholes. Let me ask you something, Madison. You have loopholes? No. I don't even know what the hell they're talking about. Not really. I have deductions for fuel and stuff, but. Well, that's not a loophole. It, it's not. It, I, I'm just, I, I'm disgusted. All right, my friend. You hang in there. I'll be right back. Mud Lovin. If you want to protect your home this holiday season, listen up. My listeners, you, you now have early access to Simply Safe's biggest Black Friday sale ever. $200 off their holiday security system. 
This is a true bestseller, a 13-piece arsenal that covers your whole home. If you want to protect your family, this should be how you do it. Simply Safe has made everything about security effortless. You barely lift a finger. Just order it online. The whole system is delivered right to your door with free shipping. And it takes less than an hour to set up. A 10-year-old can do it. Best of all, Simply Safe has no long-term contract, no pushy sales guys, no hidden fees, no wiring. It's cutting-edge technology. And the prices, they're honest and fair. 15 bucks a month for best in industry 24-7 alarm monitoring. And with Simply Safe, you're never locked in. Visit simplysafemark.com right now to check out Simply Safe's special pre-holiday sale. But hurry, because this offer will end and soon. That's simplysafemark.com for $200 off your home security system. Simplysafemark.com. Let's jump in. Mark, Orange, California, Sirius Satellite. Go. Hello, Mark Levin. I'm Mark Huffman. How are you? Well, it's a pleasure for you. Thank me. Well, I got news for you. This is the first time I was able to get through. I'm going to get to the point. First yes, of all, sir. I want to thank you for your uh, book autographs over there at the Ronald Reagan uh, Library. Thank you. Were you I over there? Build. You did help build it. How yes, about I that's did. a magnificent My son place. has uh, him and my nephew both were over there. And got your autographed pictures, and he has your picture with him sitting right next to Ronald Reagan. Oh, my gosh. That's wonderful. No, Thanks that, so much. That give you a little background of where we're coming from. Well, anyway, the reason yeah. why I'm calling, uh, because of uh, my experiences, I've had it. I've had it. With mm-hmm. all these tax issues and what, what the House of Representatives the Senate is doing to butcher up a so-called... Uh, tax reform, mm-hmm. as well as they already butchered up, once again, the uh, Obama health care issue. But yep. I, I'm a strong supporter, strong supporter, once again, mm-hmm. since the, the Reagan administration of a fair, three-tiered tax basis let me ask you a question, Mark. Let, let, let me ask you a question because we're almost out of time. I'm starting to think they should have just taken the Reagan plan and did it and, and did it again. Well, they should have. They should have because, because this is a joke. This is a this is not this is very complicated what they've done here. Yeah, well, that's just it. That's what's wrong with Capitol Hill. Their mm-hmm. whole mindset is to complicate and complicate and complicate to generate more. All right, my friend, i got to go. No offense. Got to run. Ladies and gentlemen, my point on this is simple. They keep saying it's the biggest tax cut in American history. Okay, great. Then why not do the Reagan tax cut? Slashing across the board. And by the way, slashing taxes on corporations, too. Why didn't they do that? Then it wouldn't be the biggest tax cut in American history. But the reason they didn't do it is because it would have been the biggest tax cut in American history. And it would have been very, very easy to understand and to explain to the American people. This is not that. This is not that. I'm sorry, I reject it. I'm not trying to be the uh, the wet blanket here, but I reject it. Ladies and gentlemen, we salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. I am so blessed to have you out there. I want to thank you very much. Check out Levin TV in two minutes, and I will see you on the radio 
tomorrow. God bless.